Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. Thank you for joining this week's edition of the Albany Update. A federal bill that had the pro-life community concerned went down to defeat in the U.S. Senate last week. New York's two U.S. Senators, Schumer and Gillibrand, unsurprisingly voted for the legislation. But one lone Democrat stood with the Republicans to defeat this no-good, very bad bill. And abortion continues to be a state concern as well. Governor Kathy Hochul's proposed budget has language that would statutorily require abortion coverage in every health care plan. New York's pro-life community is mobilizing against this measure. And continuing the theme of health care coverage, there is an effort to socialize medicine in the Empire State. If passed, your private health insurance coverage would disappear, and all health care would come via the state. What might this proposal mean for your tax rate? Then, on the education front, we'll see that parents are pulling their kids out of public education in record numbers. It isn't all pandemic-induced, either. There's an opportunity for churches across the state to meet the challenge in starting new private schools. Will New York's churches rise to the occasion? Let's get started. On February 28th, Democrats in the United States Senate failed in their efforts to pass a federal abortion expansion bill. Misleadingly known as the Women's Health Protection Act, or the WHPA, the bill would ensure that abortion remains legal in all 50 states and at all stages of pregnancy, even if the infamous Roe v. Wade decision is overturned or weakened by the Supreme Court of the United States. In addition, the WHPA would dismantle state laws across the country that place limits on abortion availability. Such laws include informed consent laws, pre-abortion waiting periods, and even late-term abortion bans. The WHPA has been introduced in various forms since 2013, but it did not receive a floor vote in either chamber until the House of Representatives passed it last September. A procedural vote, known as a closure vote, was held in the WHPA. Under Senate rules, the bill was required to receive 60 votes to advance. The closure vote failed, with 46 pro-abortion votes in favor and 48 pro-life votes in opposition. 46 Senate Democrats, including New York's U.S. Senators, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, voted to advance the WHPA. Opposition to the WHPA was bipartisan. All 47 Republicans that were present voted against the bill, as did Senator Joe Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat. Even Republican Senators Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, each of whom supports abortion, voted against the extreme provisions of the WHPA. Senator Marsha Blackburn, a Tennessee Republican, called the WHPA an attack against the health of women and unborn children. The outcome of Monday's vote on the WHPA was not in doubt. Why then did Senate Democrats hold a vote in the first place? Well, comments made by Senator Tammy Baldwin, a Wisconsin Democrat, a lead sponsor of the WHPA, provided some insight on the question. The American people deserve to see that while Democrats are fighting to protect their constitutional rights, Republicans are hoping the Supreme Court rolls back Roe and are actively blocking Congress from acting to protect reproductive rights, said Senator Baldwin. Along similar lines, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, here from New York, commented, Abortion is a fundamental right, and women's decisions over women's health care belongs to women. 
not to extremist right-wing legislators. Every American deserves to know where their senator stands on an issue as important as the right to choose. Well, New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms wholeheartedly disagrees with Senators Baldwin and Schumer on abortion. When it comes to the Women's Health Protection Act, however, we agree that each American voter should know how his U.S. senator voted. More specifically, each American voter should know whether her U.S. senator voted with Planned Parenthood or whether her U.S. senator voted to protect the most defenseless members of our society, the unborn. Each American voter should also know that in the midst of high inflation, the havoc caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, and an unjust war in Eastern Europe, pro-abortion senators wasted precious time voting on an abortion expansion proposal that had no chance of passage. The WHPA is a vote that pro-life Americans should remember on Election Day. And abortion isn't just a national issue, it's a state issue as well. Because unfortunately, Governor Kathy Hochul's enthusiasm for abortion has found its way into her 2022-2023 state budget proposal. The budget bill, pertaining to health and mental hygiene, would require New York health insurance policies to cover abortion. Furthermore, the bill would require that the abortion coverage not be subject to coinsurance, copayments, or deductibles, except in the case of high-deductible plans. And while the bill contains an exemption for religious employers, it is woefully inadequate. The exemption would only apply to churches, associations of churches, and religious orders. Furthermore, even if an employer qualified for the exemption, the bill would require insurers to provide an abortion rider to that employer's employees. The state of New York, through a Department of Financial Services order, already requires employers to provide insurance coverage for abortions. That insurance mandate is the subject of ongoing litigation. However, the state's current insurance mandate is not required by law, only by rule. The proposed legislation would change that. Pro-life New Yorkers must do all that we can to avoid letting this bill pass in its current form. Please utilize our Legislative Action Center to contact your state legislators today and ask them to push for the abortion insurance coverage mandate to be removed from this year's budget proposal. In continuing on that theme of health care, since the 2018 elections, New York government has undergone a massive ideological shift to the left and the state has passed a series of morally bankrupt and destructive laws. During this period, the New York State Legislature has demonstrated enthusiasm for sexual immorality and drugs, a dangerous laxity on issues of crime and public safety, and a callous disregard for human life. While there are many, many ill-advised bills being considered in the legislature in 2022, the proposed New York Health Act is one of the worst. The New York Health Act would kick every New Yorker off of his or her health insurance and impose a government-controlled program of socialized medicine upon the entire state. If this disastrous bill were passed, New Yorkers could expect negative consequences, such as massive inefficiency, healthcare rationing, and an erosion of conscience protections for pro-life hospitals and medical professionals. Alarmingly, this dangerous bill already has 86 Assembly sponsors and 33 Senate sponsors, more than enough sponsors to allow the bill to pass both houses. To date, the Assembly has passed some form of the bill several times, but the Senate has never held a vote on it. The Empire Center, a fiscally conservative think tank based in Albany, 
recently released a sobering report on the fiscal consequences of the New York Health Act. Entitled Sticker Shock, the Impact of a Single-Payer Health Plan on New York Taxes, the report describes the New York Health Act as a multi-billion dollar leap of faith. According to the Empire Center, the bill mandates a massive tax hike, yet fails to specify how much more families and businesses would have to pay. The legislation leaves Albany to figure out how those crucial details will fit in later, after a costly new entitlement has been written into law. And while we do not know the exact size and scope of the tax hikes that would be required if the New York Health Act became law, the Empire Center asserts that the tax hikes would be the largest ever enacted by any state. The report cites research from the Rand Corporation that estimated that the law would cost state government $157 billion per year. This amount would require a 133% increase in tax receipts. The average per-person tax impact would be $7,800 per year. The likely result of these increases would be massive out-migration from a state that is already hemorrhaging residents, as well as the departure of high-wage industries. The New York Health Act would be nothing short of a disaster for families. It must not be passed. And then in education, in her March 1st, 2022 response to President Joe Biden's State of the Union address, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, a Republican, declared that there was a pro-parent, pro-family revolution occurring in the education system across the nation. Governor Reynolds is correct, and the numbers show it. Parents concerned about school safety and politicized curricula were a major factor in Governor Glenn Youngkin's 2021 election victory in Virginia. In New York and in other states, parents are seeking greater involvement in their kids' education and greater educational choice. One clear indicator of this pro-parent, pro-family revolution is the number of families who have pushed their children out of public schools since the COVID-19 pandemic broke out. On March 2, 2022, New York City Schools Chancellor David Banks confirmed that 120,000 families had pulled their kids out of New York's public schools over the past five years. Chancellor Banks added that New York City schools had broken the trust for our families and needed to build that trust back. Earlier this year, the Empire Center noted that enrollment in New York City's public schools had decreased by nearly 60,000 students during the past year. Chalkbeat.org reports that 14,800 New York City residents are being homeschooled this year. That figure has increased by 88% since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Nationally, the Federalist.com reports that an eye-popping 2 million American students left the public school system from 2020 to 2021. Whether because of COVID-19 concerns, objections to COVID-19 mandates, or leftist indoctrination in classrooms, parents are voting with their feet and getting their kids out of public schools. This is a positive trend, and it is one that offers the Christian community opportunities to fill the need for quality education options. So let me tell you what's going on in Ohio. The COVID-19 pandemic has upended Americans' lives in many ways. And one area of American life that has dramatically changed since the COVID-19 outbreak is in education. The pandemic, together with the ensuing government restrictions, has led many parents to seek more school choice and greater involvement in their children's education. The Center for Christian Virtue, Ohio's largest public policy organization, and our counterparts in that state, 
created the Ohio Christian Education Network in 2018. OCEN is working with churches to build a network of Christian schools that will provide an alternative to public education. We're trying to identify churches that are willing to start a school using existing facilities, said Troy McIntosh of OCEN. It's driven by this sense that it is part of our calling as Christians to provide education for children. This fall, the network-affiliated Westside Christian School is scheduled to open in Columbus. According to the Columbus Dispatch, Pastor Ben Douglas of Faith Community Church in Columbus had a vision for a school for children in his church that were having difficulty in public schools. Westside Christian School receives funding from eight churches. A state-sponsored scholarship program is expected to provide financial resources for some students. Significantly, the Ohio Christian Education Network plans to open another 12 schools in the 2023-2024 school year. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if churches in underserved areas in New York followed Ohio's example and banded together to advance Christian education? Well, I don't know why that couldn't happen here. You know, one of the strategic goals that we have at New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms and our educational arm, New Yorkers Family Research Foundation, is to see just that, a similar model to where churches will band together, one, eight, ten, twelve, or more, churches that will stand together and will start Christian schools in existing facilities. I'm all for trying to do what we can with public education, but we need an alternative in this state. And so the question is whether or not the Christian church will rise to the occasion. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate. Follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.